Hello everyone, let's turn to our Bible as we look at our scripture reading for today. It's taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 to 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 to 16. And it says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now I command you, because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions, even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays and prophesies with his head covered covered dishonors his head. For every but every wife who prays or every woman who prays or prophesy with head uncovered dishonor her head, since it is the same as if their head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should not cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a woman to cut off her hair or have her head or shave her head, her hair, let her cover her head. For a man, a man ought not to cover his head since he is the head and, and glory of God. But women is the glory of men. For men was not made from women, but women from men. Neither was man created for women, but women for men. That is why a woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, women is not dependent on men or of women, nor men of women. For as women was from men, so man is born of women. And so, and all things are from God. Verse 13, judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray with her head uncovered? Do you not, does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is disgraceful for him? But if a woman has long hair, as it, it, is it her glory? For her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Once again, good afternoon. Welcome to our online service. As I said earlier, we will probably continue online and live stream for a couple more weeks. We will keep you posted as we move along. We continue today, we continue to pray for our nation as, as Carl has prayed just now, urging us to continue praying and to battle with this COVID-19. And we want to not grow weary in fighting this this, this sickness among us, this, this virus among us. 
So let us work together towards a, resili a COVID-resilient nation. Amen. Now let's pray as we begin our time together. Lord Jesus, we come before you this afternoon. Lord, we just pray that even as we dive into your word this afternoon, that your spirit will come and grant us fresh insights, new revelations that we can apply in our lives, in our daily walk. We look to you, Spirit of God, to come and speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. You know, as we read 1 Corinthians, we have to remember that it was a letter of Paul to a church that was troubled with a lot of issues, a church that was trying to um, live well and please the Lord. It was a church that, 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 that struggles and tried to be a lighthouse in the midst of a society that has a lot of idolatry and a lot of uh, things going around and false teaching and all. So when Paul write first wrote First Corinthians, he addressed issues of different kinds. Leaders may have written to Paul, or Paul may have heard from his contacts. So some he heard, and some he will ask. So he was trying to give advice to the leadership of the church. So it was certainly a very long letter, as you can tell covering many different and challenging issues. And, and Paul, when writing the, his letter, he was writing in the context and taking into the context and culture of the day as well and reminding them also of the Old Testament law. So can you imagine reading such a long letter today? If such a long letter is written, written to you today, or a very long email for that matter. I think it will take a while for us to read. Sometimes I wonder, some of Paul's letter to the churches, were they read at one go or read at many sittings as they slowly unpack what Paul was trying to tell them. And Paul addressed the topic on Christian weakness in the last few chapters as we unpacked it. But now, but now we move on, and Paul now move on and talk about the need for order in public worship. Public worship is a play. Public worship is like when you walk into the church and experience what happened. So let's take a quick look at what this public worship, at, this, at what he was trying to say and what he would be saying in the next couple of chapters, the next few chapters. So chapter 11, which we will look at today, it, it has to do with head covering for women or even for men. Not for men though, we'll talk in a while. And the posture and attitudes when receiving Holy Communion. We have touched that some time ago, so we will not cover that in this series. Then chapter 12, he explained about spiritual gifts. Okay, we have also covered this in our previous series, so we will not be going that way this round. Then chapter 13, 
very interesting that Paul should put the chapter on love um, here, chapter 13. So it's the famous chapter on love. Then chapter 14, the topic of speaking in tongues and having order in the worship service as well. So this, the topic of speaking in tongues was covered in our previous series as well. So as we dive into 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you will notice that Paul actually called our attention to a few things. First, a few things. First, he called our attention to tradition. Okay, we will look at that in verse 2. That order of headship sounds very confusing, but we will try to unpack that a bit. And head covering and orderly worship. So actually, most scholars reckon that verse 1, where Paul says, Be imitators of me as I imitate Christ, belong to the previous chapter. So that previous chapter, chapter 10, ends with that verse. That whole section ends with that verse of, of, call, of Paul telling the people to imitate him as he imitate Christ. So most scholars think that verse 1 belongs to the previous section where Paul talked about Christian weakness. It is very interesting that in verse 2, let's look at verse 2 again. It says this, Now I command you because you remember me in everything and maintain the tradition, the tradition as I delivered them to you. So Paul started by commending them, appreciating them for keeping the tradition. The tradition here refers to the oral tradition. That is the Word of God. Paul, in that context, was talking about the teaching that he has passed on, the Word of God that had been passed on by word of mouth. And in the Tyndale commentary, the commentator said this of verse 2. He says, Paul begins with praise. Perhaps the Corinthians had said that they remember what he told them, and the apostle expressed his pleasure. The teaching, but the tradition, the oral teaching that forms such an important part of early Christians' instruction. They were not Paul's own words, but teaching handed down to him and which he passed on. As I mentioned previously, that Paul was a very learned man. And he, he, you can read that in, in his letters, that he was trained under the best teacher in town. And he was trained to be a very strict Pharisee. So he knew the law of Moses, the Torah, very well, inside out. And for him to teach on the Torah, the law of Moses, was not difficult for him at all. He was happy and, and, he, and complimented the Corinthian Christian for remembering the teaching and, for, and wanted to do what was right and lawful. You know, in, the early, in the early centuries, teachings of any kind or information of any kind were usually passed on orally. 
not so much of what we have today in a book or a scroll because that was not popular at that time. So, there is this, there is this um, writing, this explanation about oral tradition that I found. It says that in the first century, Jewish culture was what scholars would, today would say orally dominated culture. While a certain percentage of the people could read and write, information was for most part passed on by word of mouth. That is why scholars agree that before or even after the gospel were written, early Christians rely primarily, if not exclusively, on oral tradition for information about Jesus. I think that explains why when we read the gospel, there were this multitude and there were this big crowd following Jesus around to listen to his teaching and to hear what Jesus had to say. So we, we today thank the Lord for modern technology. For those who do not read and write today, which is not many, not many, maybe for the elderly, we thank God that we have the entire Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, read out for us and recorded in devices that we can listen to whenever we want to. So in that sense, maybe oral tradition, but we have the written Bible that is for us to read and understand. You know, I, as I think about oral tradition, I think it won't work for us today. A lot of us have selective hearing. Have you ever played the game Passing the Message? Hmm? How many of you have played the game Passes the Message before? Yeah, I see a couple of hands here. It is a game where there is a line of maybe five or six people, or maybe more, maybe ten. Then the leader of the game whisper, whisper the message, a message to the first person. And the first person has to turn around and whisper the message to the next. And they carry on until the last person. And the leader of the game will ask, what, did you, what message do you receive? And then usually, <laughs> it's quite different from the one that the first person received. Because along the way, once we turn our head, we forget what was told to us. And we add in salt and pepper. So... <laughs> When you play the game, we have selective hearing too. We only listen to what we want to hear. So those of us who have a game, at the end of it, we have a good laugh. And then it is quite an interesting game. So if, we, if your cell meet physically, you may want to try that game and see whether the last person received the same message as the first person and see how good your oral tradition is. Just for maybe five minutes, you may forget, you know. Then in Paul's letter, he went on to talk about the order of headship. In looking at verse 3, you know, Paul has a way of writing that he writes something and then later on in the passage, he explains it. So in that sense, um, some people will say scripture ex explains scripture. So this is a way that 
Paul wrote about the next section. So let's look at the next section. In verse 3, he says, I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. For a man should not have his head covered, since he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. For man does not originate from women, but women from men. For indeed, man was not created for the women's sake, but women for the man's sake. Therefore, the women should have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. However, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of men, nor is man independent of women. For as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. So Paul is quite Paul sounds quite direct in his, in his writing. I know that in some version, the man is translated as husband, the woman is translated as wife. But in general term, most scholars ref- does not um, think that it refers to that kind of a husband and wife relationship, but rather man as man, as an individual man and women as an individual woman. Sounds a little bit confusing, uh, these this few verses, but let's, let's put it in this order. Okay, when you look at it in this order, maybe you will help us understand. God, our Father, is the head over Christ. Okay? And then Christ is the head of the man. And man is the head of the women. Okay, some of you may like your husband is the head of the wife, but no, here it says that man is the head of the women. The word head, H-E-A-D here, is not to be understood as lordship over or in charge of, it's not like the head of a department. It means that some, if you say that, like for example, um, Ken is the head of a department, means he's in charge of the department. It does not mean that way. But as you can read further on, that it actually means origin. It traces to the source, the source of where it comes from. So it's not so much of family relationship. Huh? So here in, in, in verse 11 and 12, Paul gave a clearer picture. However, he said, however in the Lord, neither is man independent, neither is women independent of men, nor is men independent of women. For as the men origin as the women originate from men, so also the man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God, which is true that. Christ, God, is the centre of our life. And we all, men, both men and women, we all find our identity in God. So, Paul was reminding the readers of the creation order. 
that is found in Genesis That man was first created And he was created When God created man He says, let's make a man Let's make man of our own image So he was created in the image and glory of God And women of the glory of man How was women created? Fashion out from the rib of the man. You know, I always tell this joke that God created man and he looked at the man and he says, hmm, let's make a woman out of the rib. I'm sure I can do better this time. All the women say, amen. So now, how it should look in the creation order next, next slide please So it says this Man originates from God Can you click so that we can go to the next slide? Yep So man originates Christ originates from God the Father Then man originates from God And women originates from man, out of the reap of man. So, in that sense, Paul was reminding the people of the creation order. I hope that that helped us to be a bit more clear. So, this is, and then in verse 11 and 12, we talk about that we are not independent of one another. So, it means to say that men and women are dependent on each other. And though men originates, and though women originates from a man's reap, and then we must remember that a man has his birth through the women. Men obviously cannot give birth. It needs a woman to give birth to a man. So in that sense, men and women are dependent of one another. So men, thank your mother for giving birth to you <laughs> and celebrate Mother's Day. Men and women are dependent upon one another. That is, and then Paul also encouraged us. That is why Paul encouraged us in another letter that we are to submit to one another. It's a mutual thing. Eh? And we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Recognizing, of course, that God is our creator. Paul says that ultimately, bottom line, that all things originate from God. And that, and that we are fearfully and wonderfully created by Him. So we find our identity in God, our creator. Then on the topic of head, of this origin... Paul weave in the issue of head covering for men and women. Let's move on to verse 4 to 6 and then 13 to 16. It says this, Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying and prophesying Disgraces her head. 
For it is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, have her, have her also cut her hair off. And if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, have her, have her cover her head. Judge for yourself then. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does even nature itself not teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonour to him? Or if a man, if a woman have short hair, is it a glory to her? For her hair is given to her as a covering. And if anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor have the churches of God. One thing we understand very clearly here is that both men and women can pray and prophesy in the church. So this part of it we are clear. It's not about not so much of head covering, but as we understand uh, that both men and women can pray and prophesy. So there is no um, discrimination about that. So it was head covering that Paul the back of pardon, uh, it is head it is head covering that Paul wanted to address. I don't think that Paul was very much concerned about the length of hair that a person has on his or her head. He was trying to let the people understand what is, what was, what is proper, in other words, propriety, and observing what is generally accepted as moral and morally correct. We all know that hair, our hair is very important to a lot of us, especially women. The hairdressing salon today make a lot of money um, styling the hair on our heads. I understand that men, when you go into a hairdresser or a barber, you use numbers. Uh, one is this, two is this, to tell the barber how you want your hair cut. That's what some of my guy friends told me. Whereas most women will go in and browse through magazines slowly to look at the hairstyle that they want. So we all want to look good with our hairstyle. Of course, there are men today who prefer not to have hair at all. We have one of them here in our midst. They like to keep their hair bald. But... Yeah, well, we have some of them now miss. But for women who are undergoing some medical treatment, they may drop their hair. And most women would like to wear a wig. Nice. They like to feel good. And they think that they don't look good without hair. Hair is our glory and it's important to us. So much about hair. It is hair covering that we want to talk about. Not so much of hair. So, the head, head covering has very much to do with the culture of the day. So, why head covering for women? Okay, this commentator has something interesting to tell us. He says, 
that Eastern society at that time was very jealous over its women. Except for the temple prostitute, the women wore long hair in public. The women wear long hair and in public wore a covering over their head. Paul did not use the word veil, that is, a cover over the face. The woman puts a regular shawl, cover her head, and this symbolizes her submission and purity. For Christian women in the church to appear without covering, let alone to pray and share the word, was both daring and blasphemous. In other words, the temple prostitutes at that time do not have their, do not wear a head covering. Whereas any distant women in the church, any morally um, distant women in the church, in the, in the street rather, have a head covering to show that they are pure and to show that they are submissive to in some way. So that is the culture and context of that day. The custom and culture of the day. It was a common knowledge of those days. One of the commentators said that some temple prostitutes try to weave into society. They have their hair cut short, you know, and they try to move around in public without a veil, sorry, without a head covering. But their lifestyle and their mannerism gave themselves away as to what kind of trade they were engaging in. So long hair, short hair, in the church then, you need to have a head covering to, to be morally proper. And so therefore, every woman worshipper, every woman in the worshipper in, in those days must wear a head covering to show respect and the purity of heart. It was only proper and orderly. If you are living in those days and a woman without a head covering stand up to pray or prophesy, it will certainly cause an uproar. So head covering has to do with propriety and their identity, a way of honouring God in the culture and context of the Corinthians. In today, when you visit Israel, women are encouraged to carry a shawl in their back. I, I was told to do that when I was there. Because in some sector, the women are um, encouraged, uh, uh, must wear a shawl to some places, wear a shawl over their head in some places of worship. So we have to cover ourselves, our head when we go in to these places of worship. Whereas, in, it is a general practice that whenever a man enters a place of worship, they must take off their cap or the hat that they were wearing. And I remember when I was there, there was this team of us, some of the guys on the team, they like to wear cap, you know. I think a lot of the men today likes to do that too. So they were, our tour guide kept telling them, take off your hat, take off your cap. So it is, it is a good practice 
and it is respectful to the place of worship. So, so men, I would encourage you not to wear your cap or your hat when you come into the sanctuary. So today, in today's context, we do not require our women to wear a head covering because it is absolutely fine and acceptable for women to fashion a long hair or short hair publicly, anywhere, without head covering. No one would say anything if a, if a lady decides to wear a hat or a cap or have a head covering. That is fine for a personal reason or for fashion. So in general, today, we, we don't have that practice anymore because in our culture, it is not a problem. Having said that, I must add that we all need to exercise propriety and respect when we come to worship the Lord. It is a way of honouring our God. For example, a lady walks into the church with a dress that has a plunging neckline or a skirt that has very high split. Or men wearing a t-shirt, a very tight t-shirt, or slacks like a ballet dancer. Not only our eyes a wonder and attention be drawn away, our minds and our thoughts will be filled with some unpleasant ideas about these people, don't we? So I believe Paul said all this because of the image of the Christian community, that he wants the image of the Christian community to be guarded, to be protected. As a Christian community, we are to represent Christ and to reflect him collectively as a witness for our Lord. So we need to do what is proper and what is orderly. Paul was taking into consideration the culture and, order and context of the day. He was safeguarding the church from unnecessary accusation, like the church is not understanding and do not observe culture and the context of the day, or the church being sloppy and not honouring God. I think Paul was trying to do that. And we all know that one of Paul's focus in life was to preach the gospel. We saw that about he wanting to be um, all things to all men because of the gospel. And the church is set apart to do just that. That is to preach the gospel, to be a witness. Therefore, the public worship of the church, where everyone is welcome, must be in order and reflect the holiness of God, giving God glory and honour that is due to Him, lifting up the name of Jesus. And we all, all know that when we lift the name of Jesus up, He will draw all men to Himself. And Paul ended the section in public worship in chapter 14 with this verse. 
If you look at 1 Corinthians 14, verse 40, it says this, And all things should be done decently and in order. We read from Scripture, right from the creation order, that our God is a God of order. He's not a God of confusion or messiness. If you walk in the church today and books are everywhere and pews are all over, the carpet is not straightened and you invite somebody in and you walk in, you say, what a messy church. I wonder how the people are like. Are they also like this? So public worship needs to be orderly and proper so that we can all be comfortable and so that we can all come and sit comfortably, making sense and meaningful in our worship experience through every segment of our worship service and not be unnecessarily distracted. Public worship is a time where the body of believers gathers to celebrate God, giving glory and honour to God through songs of adoration, through prayer, through the reading and preaching of God's Word, and of course, through our giving. Public worship is serious. It is a time where the Christian community gets shut in with the Lord, that you and I get shut in in our worship to our God, together with fellow believers, as well as a time of personal reflection. So it, public worship is serious. And I pray and I hope that we will all look forward and long for the time very soon, I, I hope, that we can all come together and meet together physically to do this together, to worship the Lord together as a community in this beautiful sanctuary. And public worship is also a time where the Christian community collectively represents Christ's kingdom to the world. And in that way, and in the way that we worship, may they see the sincerity, may the pre-believers see the sincerity of our heart and be drawn to the God that we all worship. That our worship to God is real and authentic. So it makes a difference when we, how we conduct ourselves and how we find our identity in God and how we honour the Lord when we meet together. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you call each one of us to walk in holiness, that you call each one of us to reflect your glory. Father, that everything that we do, the way that we conduct ourselves, the way we carry ourselves, may we truly reflect your kingdom. May we reflect the beauty of who you are, your love, your compassion, 
And Lord, most of all, for us to have our identity firmly established in you. So help us, Lord. Help us as we reflect you. May your spirit help us that we will indeed be a good representation, good ambassadors of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.